Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings to you, beloved in the Lord Jesus. My name is Rogers Atwebembire, the director of the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. We live in very interesting times, yet very, very terrible times, where the world is becoming more secular every other day, and the idea of God and Christianity is becoming distant with each passing day. In an environment like this, there will result lots of people who will seek to oppose what Scripture has written, and most especially who will want to cast doubt on what the Bible actually says. One of those areas that is very critical for us to ponder is the area of Jesus and the statements that he makes in Scripture. This is important because Jesus is at the center of the Christian faith, and without him there is no Christianity. If we go wrong on the person of Jesus and what he has done, we go wrong on everything else we would ever believe as Christians. That's why the greatest attack on the Christian faith is an attack on the person of Jesus, an attack on what he, who he is, an attack on what he has done, an attack on what he has said, to the extent that you will find so many people now who are questioning the statements of Jesus and saying, what did Jesus really mean? If we find it confusing, it means he's not God. If we find it not what we expected, it means he's not good. Looking for every excuse to discredit the ministry and person of Jesus, which means the downfall of the Christian faith. So today we continue our series on what did Jesus really mean, looking at Bible passages where Jesus has made some of the most outstanding statements that have left many confused or probably wondering, what did Jesus really, really mean? Are, are you sure this is what he said? Are, are you sure this is what we are supposed to believe? And so many opportunists or false teachers have taken advantage of the confusion of many believers. In the name of explaining to them what Jesus really meant, they have essentially led them off completely from the path of truth, leading them into error, into deception, and into destruction. So let's look at some of the passages that is where we find those outstanding statements and seek to find out what Jesus really meant beyond what we see stated in the scriptures. There is what Jesus said, and we find it in scripture, but there is what he meant, and that's what we need to seek to understand as we look at the testimony of Scripture. So we have this passage, for instance, in Mark chapter 8. I would like to read from verses 34 so that we can see what is under discussion here. Mark eight thirty-four, and this is how it reads. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Oh, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous 
and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now from this passage, we have some people who have posed the question that when Jesus said we should take up our cross and follow him, what did he really mean? And as you can imagine, there are a broad range of explanations that can be given to this question. Some might even interpret the passage literally and might conclude that Jesus is saying that we should also be crucified like the way he was crucified and therefore we need to suffer. And as a matter of fact, almost every year, we have some Christians who are carrying wooden crosses and moving all over the country, trying to hurt themselves and suffer as much as possible. And for some reason, they hope and believe that if they suffer like Jesus did, then Jesus is pleased with them and they will be perfect before him. Now, to their surprise, after the event is done, they realize their lives have not changed in any way. The same sinful nature that ruled them and governed them still reigns supreme. The evil thoughts they had before, they still have the same thoughts. They realize that Good Friday and Easter have come and gone and they are still the natural people they used to be. And then they are left wondering, what did Jesus really mean? Did Jesus say we should carry physical, heavy, painful crosses in order for us to follow him? Some have taken the easier way and have said, well, what Jesus meant was really symbolic. So what he is saying is that we don't have to carry the big heavy pieces of timber, but we can carry a crucifix, a cross like wooden sign that we can carry around our neck. Some of them carry them as symbolic crucifixes. Some of them, like our Roman Catholic brothers, will carry them as rosaries. And they have carried the cross of Jesus as a symbol. And they hope that by doing so, they are fulfilling the call of Jesus in Mark 8.34, where they must carry their crosses and follow him. And again, like we said, in most cases, you will find that those putting on those crucifixes are really external symbols without any inward transformation. While they continue to wear those crosses, they still live a life of sin. There is no evidence of transformation in their lives. They are as far from the Lord as they were before they put them on. And come to think of it, you do not even have to be a Christian to put on a symbol of a cross. You could even have it without ever knowing what it means. You could be carrying the cross around your neck without ever knowing the pain that it meant for Jesus and without never knowing the, the shame and the scorn and the death that came with that cross. In most cases, in our attempt to please the Lord or to interpret what Jesus has said, we end up either innocently or ignorantly misunderstanding his words, misapplying his words, and what comes out of that kind of misunderstanding and misapplication is really heretic teaching and sometimes what has come to be known as cultic groups. A third category has concluded that maybe Jesus was saying that we need to work hard, experience pain and suffering that he felt, and only then can we be able to carry our crosses. So when they are going through hard times, they claim they are carrying the cross of Jesus. When they lose their job, they say, that's the cross I'm carrying. 
when they have a troubled marriage, they say that's the cross they are carrying. A story is told of one man who went to church and his pastor talked about carrying the cross and he says that you need to carry your cross daily and follow Jesus. So this man goes back home, reaches there and carries his wife in his arms. The wife is very excitedly surprised and she can't believe it. And she says, wow, after all these years in marriage, finally you remember to carry me? And the man replies and says, well, I am not carrying you for anything else. I'm just obeying the words of my pastor because he said we should carry our crosses. So according to this man, his wife was a cross that he had to carry, a very painful one at that. And he's obeying his pastor by carrying his wife as the cross. You can see how very easy it is to be misled. Does pain and trials and temptations mean that we are carrying the cross? Is that what Jesus really meant when he said, carry your cross daily and follow me? Did he say it, it means suffering? And does that mean that everyone who has suffered is actually carrying the cross? What should you think about a pastor or a Christian leader who tells you that your problems are the cross you must carry and therefore when you suffer it pleases Jesus? And is that really what the Bible says, that your suffering is actually a joy to Jesus, that your suffering is carrying your cross as Jesus has instructed? And if that is not the case, as surely it is not the case, what did Jesus really mean? Now you must understand that in the context in which this passage is written, Jesus' statement would not have been misunderstood by his listeners in the first century. They would have understood what he meant very well, because a cross was not just a symbol in his day, it was a tool of execution, and it was quite common. It is first century. Rome is in charge. Israel is like a Roman colony. And they must rule them by force so to make them fear. And any culprits who broke the law, especially those serious offenders, they would have been caused to carry their crosses and they would crucify them as a tool of execution. When a man had been condemned to die and the time of execution had arrived, the man would be required by the Roman executioners to carry his cross to the place of execution. And this is what it was like for Jesus as well. When his time came, he was forced to carry those pieces that make the cross. And he was taken to the place of Gorogotha, where he would be crucified and eventually where he would die. So when we take up the cross, we are saying in a sense that we are following Jesus in what he lived for, in what he stood for, in what he fought for in what he believed was the right thing, which is a relationship with God made possible, the reason for which we have come to follow Christ. The cross is not just a symbol of what Jesus stands for, but it is also a way of submitting ourselves to the suffering, to the indignities that Christ went through, and in a sense, Jesus is saying that please when you come to follow me, when you come to be my disciple, you must exercise total commitment, no matter what that will mean or what that will cost you. Jesus, without mincing his words, is saying that the life of following him 
is a life of suffering, is a life of pain, is a life of unfair trial, unfair sentence, unfair execution, just like they did with him. And on the basis of the believer's faith, he's likely to suffer, he's likely to encounter trials and challenges, but he must do this with such a commitment of no turning back, that even when it might mean that this lifestyle will result into his death, he must willingly and deliberately take it up. That's what it means to carry your cross, that you are going to live your Christian life on what I call a one-way road, that you are going to exercise your integrity even when it will cost you everything. That you are going to stand for Jesus even when no one else will. That you are going to endure the high price, the cost of living a transparent life. Sometimes you will be maligned, sometimes you will be scorned, sometimes you will be lied against, sometimes you will be scorned, and maybe you will even be executed on the basis of your faith. We see these things happening to Jesus later. In fact, this cross is not just one of carrying to Gorogosa so you can be crucified, but it is a cross of shame and scorn. Whenever these Roman soldiers would make the prisoner to carry this cross, it was not just a question of him taking the pieces of timber to the place of execution, but there would be a crowd of people following this prisoner, chanting and shouting, scoffing and spitting at him, throwing stones, mocking him. So this prisoner suffered more than actually the cross itself. You could possibly say that he died before he really died. The indignities that he went through on his way to the place of execution were enough to break his heart before they could break his hands and his legs. Certainly, this was one of the most horrifying most excruciating pains anyone can ever really imagine. And Jesus speaks that picture, that illustration, and paints it as what a true Christian journey looks like. That a true Christian journey is one of following Jesus and no turning back. It is one of total commitment, and this commitment can be costly. No wonder, even before they carry their cross, he reminds them that they must deny father, mother, brother, sister, even themselves, and carry their cross daily and for. It is a life of self-sacrifice. It is a life of laying down your life for Jesus. Remember in the same passage he continues and he says that whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ will gain it. Again, you can see Jesus is not missing his words. He's saying discipleship or following Christ means losing your life. Now, he's not saying that you see, uh, losing your life might mean that you will lose your job, or it might mean people will just hate you. But Jesus is actually saying that that loss of life might even include you dying. And he's saying, if that be the case, so be it. You would rather die in the Lord than live outside of him. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then loses his own soul in eternal hell? That is Jesus' rhetorical question. So essentially he's saying, if you really want to follow me, you cannot only do so in word. 
You cannot only just do so when it is convenient and comfortable. You must put your life on the line and follow me on the path of the cross. A path that will involve sacrifice, suffering, and possibly even death. And please notice there is a distinction Jesus is putting here. When he says, carry your cross and follow me, there is that little word that is added there daily. In fact, from the Greek language, this sentence is what you would call an imperative. It is a present continuous imperative. And it simply means that you must follow Jesus daily, consistently, constantly. So we are not talking about a Sunday event. We are not talking about following only when you have finished everything else you are doing. We are talking about a 24-7 followership. We are talking about a full-time service. Not a seasonal one. Not a vacational one. But a lifetime of following and living for Jesus. Now I want to make sure that you do not misunderstand me. And think that I am saying that if you work hard, you suffer hard, you do everything Jesus wants you to do, that you will be saved. That's not what I'm saying. This is not a call for non-believers to suffer for Jesus. This is a call for those who are already believers. It's a call on the how-to of living the Christian life. Salvation is not by what we do or don't do. Salvation is solely by grace from beginning to the end. It is one who's putting his trust in what Jesus has already done and not what the person himself intends to do or is already doing. In John 5:24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Jesus is not saying that if you work hard, if you carry your cross, if you hate your parents, you will be saved. No, 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 no. He is talking to people who already follow him and are considered saved. And he is saying this is the life of discipleship, the life of a believer. You've been saved by grace and that grace will now enable you to carry your cross and come after me. He makes it very clear that salvation is not about the things you are doing. The things you are doing come because you are already saved, not so that you can be. The same thought is in John 11:25, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Again, remember the key word is on belief. He who believes in me, not he who carries the cross, not he who works, not he who fasts, not he who gives to the church, not he who tithes more. As much as those things are good for somebody who is a believer, they are not the prerequisites for salvation. Salvation is by faith in Christ Jesus. It is a life of discipleship, however. You come in by grace, and the same grace enables you to live for Jesus. And the life of living for Jesus is one of a total commitment, one of selfless living, one of sacrifice, one of uh, suffering, one that might quite often mean you could even die for your faith. Jesus is calling the kind of people who will turn their backs on selfish interests, who will no longer live for the life of this world, but for the life to come. A life where Christ Jesus is the center. 
That's why Peter speaks to the suffering believers in 1 Peter 3.15. And he says, therefore, you must set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in the midst of your suffering. That Christ is supposed to become the center, the pinnacle of everything they do. The hinge on whom the rest of the whole of Christian life revolves. Jesus must not only become the center, but he must become the beginning and the end. He must become the reason for what we do and why we do it. It becomes all about Jesus. It's full-time service. It's time or service that could be costly for you. It could mean isolation. It could mean loneliness. It could mean loss of your marriage. And yet Jesus, without any apology, says, if anyone must come after me, if anyone must follow, this is the standard. Is this, this is how they must live. In light of the convenient, comfortable Christianity of our day, you can see why this is controversial, and you can see why many people would rather misinterpret it and misapply it to try to lessen the forcefulness with which Jesus speaks. But you need to remember that we do not live our Christian lives according to what is comfortable for us. We live our life faithfully according to what Jesus has called us to. So ours cannot be a life of luxury and pleasure, of self-idolatry. It must be a life where we lay down our all, our everything. It must be a life where we not only sing all to Jesus I surrender, but where we demonstrate our surrender and submission every day, in every way, in whatever things Jesus has called us to do and to be. What happens when somebody misrepresents Jesus' words? Eventually what you have is a superficial Christianity whose goal is to please the followers and make them as comfortable as possible. But is that what Jesus is saying in this passage? No. Instead, Jesus is saying, if you must have a choice between the life on earth and the life that Jesus offers, you would rather forsake and forfeit the one on earth. What will it profit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own life in eternal hell because you do not have the life that Jesus gives? If you have a choice between the two lives, shouldn't you be choosing Jesus' life even when it will cost you? Jesus is not saying it will be easy. He's not saying it will be simple. But he's saying it is worth it because what you gain is much more than what you lose. I know there are so many of us out there who are already suffering who are already going through hard times. And perhaps you've been wondering what's in it for you. Perhaps you've been wondering whether all this makes any sense. Perhaps you've been wondering whether your cross has not become more heavy than thought that you would actually ever carry. And maybe you are beginning to think, did I make a mistake? Should I probably have done something else? Or maybe uh, am I carrying my cross the wrong way? I would like you to know, my friend, that the Lord Jesus understands that following him is not easy, which is why he has given us his grace, that it might enable us to stand firm and unwaveringly until the very end, which is why in verse 38 of this passage he says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in the midst of this adulterous and sinful generation, won't the Son of Man be ashamed of them when the Father comes in his glory with his angels? 
He reminds us of what will become ours in his name if we endure to the end. The glory that the Father comes with and the holy angels that come with his glorious and powerful appearance. He reminds us that while it might be hard because of the adulterous and sinful generation we live in, yet as God's people we have been called to be pure, to be holy, to be sober in the midst of a pervert and a crooked world. Shall we stand? Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. The Bible tells us so, that God's grace is sufficient for us, no matter where we are, no matter what we are going through. Remember, if anyone must come after Jesus, he must deny himself, he must deny his family, he must carry his cross daily and diligently, and he must follow Christ. And the kind that do that, Jesus says, he will represent you. He will introduce you to the Father when he comes in his glory with the holy angels. May the Lord bless you as you reflect upon these words. May the Lord give you the grace to hang in there and stand firm and compromisingly until the day of his appearance. May he keep you and perfect you. May he bless you beyond all the pains that you have gone through. May he bless you beyond any curse. Amen. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org. 